Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for just the privilege of being here. Lord, we ask that you would speak very clearly to us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal what needs to be revealed in each one of our hearts as individuals. Um, Draw unity to this body collectively, Lord. And Lord, ultimately just bring glory to Jesus through it all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Hope you had a great week. Um, If you were here last week, we started going through the book of James. I went over one verse. took about two hours, and I'm not going to do that again, so we're okay. Um, This is probably the most famous passage in the book of James. So if you've grown up in church world, you've heard probably sermon after sermon on this before. If you haven't grown up in church world, maybe you're new to church, and you just listened to Christy read the first part of this passage, and you hear something like, oh, you should count it all joy when you go through trials, that may sound absolutely ridiculous to you. And so my hope today is to help you better understand that, all right? Just as a quick review, and I kind of alluded to this last week, James has written this book to Christ followers who are kind of spread out all over the place and trying to figure out what it looks like to balance life and faith and and what to do in each circumstance and how to apply the gospel. And what James is most concerned about, if I were to wrap up kind of, here's James' like thesis, His biggest concern is that he believes that the way the church is going, it's going to be deep in knowledge and unable to live it out in life. And we see this a lot. Like, I was thinking about when I was a kid and I attended, you know, classes. I went to a Christian primary school and I learned Bible verses and I memorized Bible verses and I could repeat a ton of Bible verses even at a young age, but I had no idea what they meant. Right? They'd be like, repeat this, and I would say it, but it wasn't until I was much older that I began to say those verses in my head, look at them in Scripture, and go, whoa, I didn't, I didn't realize the power of what was actually being said here. And then it took me longer to figure out, well, how do I actually apply that into my life? Like, is it just something that I'm memorizing? Is it just... Great knowledge. Okay, you know, like we have doctrine class coming up, and it's like, great, we have doctrine, but... The whole point of understanding what you believe is that you can live it out. 
And James is scared of this. He's been writing to these Jews that have spent so much of their time studying and poring over the law and watching that law become a burden to them. And I think when, as James is building this church in Jerusalem and he's watching the gospel impact people, he's saying, it's gotta look different. It's gotta be lived out. There's gotta be ways that it's not just about coming in and studying, but taking what you know and going out and using it effectively. You know, this is, I I was talking to Pastor Matt like a few weeks ago, and one of the things that, I, I don't know, we're getting older, maybe wiser, I'm not sure, I hope. Um, you know, we talk about the limitations that we have as a church, right? There's many, and every church has them. And one of the things that we were discussing is, man, we are, we are really good at certain things, we're really bad at other things, but the reality is we know what our mission is and we know what we're trying to do. And if I were to wrap all of that up into one little thing, I would say, we want you coming in here, understanding Jesus and going out and living it. That's our goal. That's our mission. We don't, we're not looking to build kind of a club here. We're not looking to hold people here. We're not looking to say, oh, well, once you're a member, you're always going to be a member. We're literally saying we want you to understand the gospel to the best that the Holy Spirit can reveal it to you and by his grace go out and live it in whatever calling he gives you. That's the hope, right? It's interesting because we live in such a transient city, and I feel like East Boston is just getting more and more transient as it's getting more and more expensive. And we used to say, oh, we've got people for like two years. Now I think we have people for like six months. And it's like, okay, great, for six months. Like, understand, but hear this. It's not just about knowledge. We don't want to just fill you with biblical doctrine. We want you to go, wow, that doctrine, what I believe is so valuable and so important that I'm willing to go out and live it, and this is the heart of James. He's saying, what good is it to gather a bunch of people and just fill our heads with knowledge? It's, we, we need knowledge, but if we're not applying it, there's really no point. I was reading some different theologians, and I like... I like reading different theologians, even some that I don't necessarily agree with because I always think they come up with interesting ideas. And um, One of them I was reading this week, his name is Doriani, and I don't really know who he is or, or what all he's written, but he said this, the trials of life show us if we live by our professed doctrines or not. And I, as I was processing this through this week, he says, okay, the trials of life Help us understand, as I paraphrase, whether or not we're actually living out the beliefs that we claim we believe, right? And that's what James is going to try to teach us. I think the greatest gift that the Holy Spirit will ever give you as an individual is an accurate self-assessment, right? Like as Christ followers, we come together and we're to hold each other accountable and we speak into each other's lives and, and we see things and we encourage each other and so on and so forth. But the reality is that only goes so far if we as individuals through the power and the grace of God don't see ourselves accurately. One of the most important things and the greatest gifts is when the Lord actually reveals like here's a deficiency that you have and us being okay with it. Right? I, 
I think that as we go through this passage, one of the things I want you to just kind of keep in the back of your mind is the purpose of this is to give you an accurate self-assessment of who you truly are. And the danger is this. As we go through this, just like every human being, anytime that we see an issue or we look at somebody else and we're very quick to say, this is what's wrong with you. We very rarely put the mirror up and say, okay, I'm gonna take that same judgment, that same standard and turn it around and point it at us and really gain an accurate self-assessment of who we are. And James gives us the gift of that. He's gonna tell us that there's actually things that go on in our life that reveal that to us. And the temptation is going to be that as we go through this, we're going to give some examples, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that guy. And I'm going to say, man, right now, pray up. Because that's not the goal here. The goal isn't for us to start pointing fingers, and the goal isn't to be reminded of somebody who really struggles with something that James is going to mention here. The goal is to actually put the mirror up in front of ourselves and say, okay, how am I doing in these areas? Holy Spirit, like, I think the most dangerous prayer that we can pray to the Holy Spirit is that he actually, like, pulls our heart out and reveals it to us. Because it hurts, it creates joy, it cre- but it's such a gift. And so that's the context by which we're going to actually look at this passage. So here we go. If you haven't turned there, turn to James chapter 1. Starting in verse 2, it says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Um, that doesn't sound human, right? So what is joy? Um, we're going to move through this quickly. I think the best definition of joy I've ever heard was given to me to, by um, a pastor's wife. I, I had a mentor a way, way back when. His name was Pastor Barnes, and he, he, was, he had to be 90 to 100 years old when I was working with him, and his wife was probably that ancient as well, and if she's listening to this, she's going to kill me. Um, but she came and she would, we were working at the drug and alcohol rehab program and she would get up in front of these guys and basically say, look, if you're going to experience joy in Jesus, then you need to un- truly understand what joy is. And tr- joy is an attitude of gratitude regardless of the circumstances. That's joy. Let me say it again. Joy is an attitude of gratitude regardless of the circumstances. So regardless of what's going on around us, it's being able to say, I know Jesus I understand the gospel. I know that one day I will be with him forever. I know, like Tony was mentioning before, he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. God is good. God is great. Yes, life is hard. There are circumstances that are here, but I still maintain an attitude of gratitude regardless because Jesus died for me. That's joy. Joy isn't, woohoo, I'm going through trials. Okay, that's psychotic. Joy is this ability to say, I'm going through trials, and sometimes trials are of our own making, right? I love it when oftentimes, like, I'll just throw myself under the bus. So I might be going through something, and it's the result of a choice that I've made, and I'm going through it, and then I'm like, God, why would you put me through this trial? And he's like, because you blew it. There's ramifications for it, right? I call that unnecessary suffering. We all do this. We put ourselves in positions of unnecessary suffering. But then there's also the necessary suffering, right? Necessary suffering are trials where 
we'll put, we might put ourselves through them or the Lord will put us through them in order that we'll grow. Nothing grows without trial, right? So I don't know, I was an athlete, so I'm always using like athletic analogies, but Paul used the idea of a marathon often, right? That the point of the Christian walk isn't to sprint, it's endurance and maturity, and it's a marathon, and it's not a sprint. It's, it's consistency, like I said, it's growing in maturity and endurance. And if you went to the marathon recently, like I'm always in awe, right? The longest I've run is a half marathon, and Christy reminded me that when I finished the half marathon, I looked at her and went, I can't believe people do this twice, <laughs> right? But here's the thing, I only trained for a half marathon, and everybody tells me when they run, like, I'm not a professional runner, right? Far from it. But amateur runners, like, if you want to run a marathon, it all comes down to the training. You have to be willing to push your body consistently so that you can build up the endurance that's going to allow you to finish, right? So if you want to run a 5K better, then the best thing you can do is push yourself to be able to run five miles consistently. But in order to get there, it's going to cause some pain. Your breath, you're going to be out of breath for a while, right? It's going to take some consistency for you to literally wake up in the morning. I was talking to somebody this morning, and they're like, I have to change my routine. I have to get up at 5 in the morning to go to the gym. And I'm like, oh, man, that's hard. And I get it, right? There's a consistency to say, even I'm going to lose some sleep. I'm going to suffer. I'm putting myself in some trials so that the gains will be worth it. It's hard. It requires discipline, Right? We can find joy in that. Like, when you're at the gym and you've added weight, or you're running and you've added distance, or you're playing a musical instrument and your fingers are bleeding because you're playing longer, or whatever it is, you can find joy in that because you know that the trials that you're currently going through are going to produce what you're looking for in the future. That's what James is trying to push toward. He's not saying, hey, celebrate. Like, man, I'm going through the worst year of my life. You should just celebrate and be happy all the time. No, he says, but you can be joyful. You, you can be grateful for who Jesus is. You can be grateful that he's not willing to keep you where you are and push you to grow, to become more like him. I, I think one of the big issues especially with the american church is that we do every it's, it's anti-american to suffer so we do every single thing that we can to prevent suffering to prevent trial except the ones that we really want right and then when it comes to the church and we understand like okay in in american culture like we're trying to prevent suffering we're trying to do these things and we're trying to elevate ourselves to certain levels with the least amount of work possible but it's also interesting that in American culture, we celebrate those who work so hard to achieve that which they've achieved, and we know in our heads it's going to take effort and energy and work to get there. But in the church, for some reason, we don't look at it that way. We're like, I want to grow spiritually, and God goes, great, buckle up. Have you ever prayed like, Lord, help me love people more? There's a big thing in church, they say don't pray for patience, right? 
It's the same thing. Whatever you pray for, whatever it is you're wanting to grow in spiritually, if you say, I want to love people more, how does the Lord teach you to love people more? He puts people in your life that are hard to love. And then he says, can you do it? Why do we say don't pray for patience? Because it requires you to go through things that are going to force you to be patient. It's practice, right? You know, it just doesn't happen by accident. So when we're, we get to a place where we're going, I want to grow spiritually, and I know that the Lord's putting me through trials in order to grow my faith or grow my patience or grow my love, we can definitely find joy in the fact that he's answering our prayer to allow us to do it. We can be grateful for it. That's what James is trying to get to here. All right, let's keep going. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. All this is just confirming everything that I've just said, right? Your testing produces steadfastness. Your steadfastness, and that let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Christy and I have this saying from this verse, it says, lack less, lack less. And it's weird, I get it, it's kind of a weird phraseology, but what we're saying is, oftentimes we're going to pray for trial, we're going to go through trial, the Lord's going to put us through something to grow us to become more like him. And if we're steadfast in it, and we're grateful in it, and remain joyful in it, and we're willing to put the work in by the grace of the Holy Spirit, then he's going to remove these things from us that are, preve- that are, that are lacking in our lives to, prevent, to keep us from doing what the Lord is asking us to do right? So we're lacking less. We go through the trials to lack less and become more of what God wants us to be. But it requires that effort, that energy, that steadfastness, that marathon. Here's the problem. I don't like the idea of steadfastness as a human being. I'm American. It's anti-American. I want what I want when I want it right now. Right? I don't want to have to work for it. I don't want to have to, to, to sacrifice for it. I just want the Lord to go, here it is. Lord, give me patience. Boom, you have patience. doesn't work that way, right? What's fascinating is when you really grasp these verses as a Christ follower, and I, I, will, I will venture to say that as we're looking at ourselves internally, Your prayer life, when nobody else is looking at you and what you pray for, speaks a lot about who you are, right? And what you'll find is as you grow in maturity as a Christ follower, you'll begin to actually pray for the Lord to bring trials because you know that they produce beauty. Like, it's a pretty crazy prayer when you think about it to say, Lord, I'm not great at loving people. So can you teach me to love? Lord, I'm not very forgiving. Can you teach me to forgive? I mean, if you follow the line of thinking that I've been going through, every one of those gifts that you're asking for, okay, if, if it's forgiveness, then what does that mean? It means that somebody's gonna have to hurt you. Because the only way to practice forgiveness is to truly be hurt. And it's interesting because I'll say things like that in my prayer life, like, Lord, I, I, help me love people more, help me be more generous, or whatever it is, and then, the, you know, 
because it's steadfastness, it might be month before he puts me in a situation and then I blow it and he's like, but you prayed for that. And then not only do we not do it, but then we blame the Lord for the trial, right? It's interesting how our brains work. I think maturity as a Christ follower brings us to a place where we actually get to Lord, not running the marathon great. There's some things in my life that you've revealed. I need some training. And therefore, I'm asking you to, to coach me up, which means it's gonna be hard. I'm gonna have to get up early. I'm gonna have to run more. Diet's gonna have to change. Whatever it is, right? That's maturity as a believer. Lacking less. Verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must, be suppo- must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This feels like, I don't know, I went to, we went to a play recently, and there's those moments in a play where like the action's happening and then like one of the characters steps aside, we call it a soliloquy, and they're gonna tell you like what's going on in their brain and things are still happening over here so that you're getting insight into what they're thinking and then they step back into the scene and we as the audience have more knowledge, right? That's kind of what's happening here. James is going, okay, we need to understand the role of trials in our life. We need to understand that this is, a marathon. We need to understand that joy is so important. It is so important that our attitude of gratitude remains regardless of circumstance. We need to get to places of maturity where we're saying, Lord, I know my weaknesses, therefore it's going to take some training. And then he steps aside and he says, if you're not there, pray for wisdom. Because it's a lack of wisdom that's keeping you from getting to that point. So it's like he steps aside and he's like, look, I understand you may not be there. Like all of these people are are doing their thing and, and you may not be in that mindset yet. So instead of maybe asking for the trial right away, maybe your prayer needs to be, Lord, would you give me wisdom in this? Because I can't seem to comprehend why I would want to suffer. And you know what the wisdom's gonna do? The wisdom's gonna push you to the gospel. And he's gonna say, you were saved out of suffering. Thank God Jesus didn't say, Lord, I don't want to suffer. Right? Because what our motivation becomes in wisdom, like all wisdom is, like I've ta- we, we've talked about wisdom so many times, right? It's the, the ability to take the knowledge and apply it in a practical way. But all Christian wisdom is, is applying the gospel in every situation accurately. So every time we as Christ followers pray for wisdom, the wisdom is, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Look at Jesus. Be reminded of what Jesus did. How would Jesus respond in this situation? Pray that he'll give you the grace to respond in kind. Look at the suffering of Christ. Look at the resurrection of Christ. Be reminded that you're a new person in Jesus every day. Be reminded that you're forgiven so that you do forgive. Be reminded that you're loved so that you love. 
It all comes back to the gospel. Wisdom is the ability for us to apply the gospel accurately. So when you pray for wisdom, I can tell you right now what's going to happen. He's going to go, Jesus. Jesus. In fact, Proverbs points to Jesus as the personification of wisdom. He's, he's wisdom in flesh. So we look at, we say, okay, okay, Lord, I, I, I don't understand the suffering thing, or I feel like I'm going through something, and it's not making sense, and I'm not being very joyful right now. So Lord, would you give me the wisdom to see what's actually happening here? I don't need answers. I need a self an accurate assessment of my own heart because I'm not applying the gospel to this current circumstance. I'm not finding myself grateful. And he says, okay, let's look at Jesus. And Jesus' attitude while he was on the cross was that of gratefulness, of joy, of saying, I'm willing to suffer for you, for me. I, I I've said this before, but it makes a difference to me to know that Jesus didn't go to the cross begrudgingly. Like, can you imagine? Like, that would change everything for me. If Jesus is like walking to the cross, carrying his things, I can't believe I have to die for these crazy people. They're such a mess. I can't believe I have to, like, big brother has to step in again. Like, wouldn't that be terrible? It says that he went to the cross in joy. That changes everything. It's one of the reasons that Jesus says, if you truly want to follow him, what do you have to do? Take up your cross daily and follow him. Taking up our cross daily means, man, it's hard. But just like Jesus, we go in joy. We go with an attitude of gratitude. We go knowing that it's worth it. And if we're not there, pray for wisdom. I love this because it's so practical. I, I would advise you this. And I think James would say the same thing, but I don't really know him, so I, I'm just kind of putting thoughts in his head maybe. But I think he would say, instead of, if you're, not, if you're not being wise currently, I don't think it would be wise to pray for the trial. I think it would be wise to pray for wisdom first. Because you might be setting yourselves up for failure, right? Right? It's like the individual that comes to me and they say, hey, I need, I, need to, I need more time in the Word. Like, I need to find more time. And I'm like, how much time are you spending now? And they're like, none. But I want to I read an hour a day. And I'm like, don't start there. Because that's going to last two days. Right? Like, let's start with five minutes. Just start with five minutes. Because we don't just go straight to a marathon, right? Like, don't set yourself up to fail. Christ followers are doing this all the time. Oh, I want to pray more. I'm going to pray an hour a day. And I'm thinking, well, how long are you praying now? Like one minute. Well, you're not going to pray an hour a day. You have to build up to that. There's discipline. There's endurance that's required. So instead, if you're going, I don't, I don't know, Kevin, that I want to pray for the opportunity to be more loving because I know what that's going to cost me. And so instead of praying that, maybe you need to pray, Lord, would you give me wisdom to understand the gospel better so that I'm actually willing to pray that? Because without the wisdom, you're going to crash and burn, right? Because the wisdom doesn't just help us understand the gospel better. It also gives us the power of the gospel to accomplish it. 
And without that, without that wisdom, we're attempting to do things under our own strength and our own power, and every time I do that, I fail. And I'm going to assume that you probably have seen the same thing, yet we still try it, and we fail again. Right? Wisdom. It has this, there's some doctrine here that I'm not necessarily going to dive into deep where it says, look, you've got to ask in faith. All I'm going to kind of comment on this one is just to say that James makes it very clear that he views the opposite of faith as doubt. Right? I want to be, I'm always trying to be real, as real as I can. If you are a Christ follower and you have doubts, it's okay. It's okay. You're not Jesus. Right? It's okay. Right? But we have, as Christ followers, answer to all the doubt. Right? Like it's, it's all there. It's all in the gospel. So I, I remember when I was a, a youth pastor, so many students would come up and they're like, I must not be a believer because I have doubts. And I'm like, Doubt isn't associated with whether or not you're a believer now or not. Your faith needs to grow. And what doubt is showing you is that you have areas that you need to grow in the gospel. So once again, we take an accurate self-assessment. Well, where is that doubt at? And how do I apply the faith of what Scripture says and what Jesus is saying to me to alleviate that doubt? And James would say, we got to fight that right? That's an endurance race as well. Do you know what James might say? Pray for wisdom, then pray for faith. And do you know what faith, you know what it's going to take to get faith? Whew. That's a dangerous prayer. Lord, give me more faith. Faith is ultimately a greater dependency upon God, which means he's going to put you in circumstances that are going to require you to depend upon him more. You really want to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Pray for wisdom. Pray that he'll break your heart to ask for more faith and then pray for faith and then step back and get ready. These things are going to get crazy. All right, let's keep going. So we got our little soliloquy here. Practical. And then we move into verse 9 through 12 and this turns everything upside down as to what we think a trial is going to be. Before I dive in, I just want you to think this way. If trials help us create accurate self-assessment of how we're applying the gospel, then it's very important that we understand what a true trial is, right? And when we think of trial, typically we think of suffering. That's just how we roll. But that isn't always how a trial comes. Sometimes the trial comes in prosperity. Someday, if you haven't heard it, I'll tell you my testimony where the Lord kind of, as a young age, gave me everything that I thought I wanted. And then I realized how empty it was. Like, in order to get to my heart, he went, okay, here you go. How's it feel? Jesus... His quote is saying it's really difficult for a rich man to come into God's kingdom. Why? Because it produces just as many trials as being poor. And you're like, then curse me with it, right? <laughs> like, curse me with the trial of wealth. 
I have found this. Like, you get just as accurate of a self-assessment when you're getting blessings and how you're handling those blessings as you do when you're going through something hard. Because the temptation when we're being blessed or prosperous is to say we don't need God anymore. We ride this like wave and we're like, oh, God answered my prayer. Now I'm just riding the wave on my own. And we do every, there's something in us as human beings to say all glory to me instead of all glory to God. We might thank him initially, but then the power, the influence, the money, the stuff, whatever it is, the success, causes us to become something that we never thought we would become. And that gives us an accurate self-assessment as well. There's a reason why people in Scripture said, Lord, don't give me too much because I don't think I can handle it. Right? Now, I don't know how the Lord like reveals trials to you. I don't know if you're sitting in position of prosperity or you're sitting in position of difficulty, but the ultimate goal of the Christ follower is to remain steady, steadfast, regardless. I have learned over time that if you, if you assess yourself based upon prosperity, or the opinion of others, or affirmation from others, then you're also going to assess yourself negatively when those affirmations aren't there. You'll live and die by them. Right? I, as a preacher, I learned this. Somebody would come up and go, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, praise God. And then, because then the person behind them is gonna go, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> and I'm like, praise God. Right, like, it's, it's funny, like we sent out uh, these stats to our members and it's like, hey, help us out with some things. And you guys all said opposite stuff, right? And I'm like, well, of course, that's exactly what I expected because that's just how life works. What one person sees as valuable and important, another person sees as completely irrelevant, right? And so if we constantly are weighing our value or our joy on what others think or trying to make others happy or whatever it is, then when people come to us and they have their critique, we're also going, we're going to, our life is going to be defined as these high highs and low lows and we're never going to be steady. But that's not what scripture says. Scripture says steadfastness, meaning, you know, Paul talked about this. He goes, I know what it was like to have a lot and I know what it was like to have a little and I remained in the gospel the whole time, right? So you go, Lord, right now, you're prospering. Right now, there's influence. Right now, there's things that are extra. But I know in my heart of hearts, that's not always going to be the case because there's gonna come a point when I have very little. And our self-assessment is, how do we do with each one of those? This is why I... I liked this quote from this theologian so much. I'll read it again. The trials of life show us if we live by our professed doctrines or not. Let me just talk about like one thing, generosity, because I think it's the one thing that we all, we, everybody in the planet thinks they're more generous than they are, right? Can we agree to that? I think I'm more generous than I am. You think you're more generous than you are, 
right? So it's an easy one for us to grasp, right? And here's the thing. Oftentimes we'll be like, I'm not generous because I'm poor. And then I've seen this happen. The Lord gives you much, and the excuse becomes, well, now I'm not generous because I don't know what to do with all that he's given me. See, it's a heart issue. If you're not generous when you're poor, I promise you, you're not gonna be generous when you're wealthy because it's a heart issue. Generosity is a condition of the heart, not a condition of circumstance. Love is the same. Faith is the same. Like all of the traits that we see in Christ, they're not dependent upon our circumstance. They're dependent upon our heart. Jesus found joy in the midst of walking through the cross. Jesus displayed love in the midst of being beaten. He stayed the same. He didn't change. He didn't give the excuse of like, Lord, you know what, this would have been a lot easier, or I would have done this sooner had you not you know, put the whipping part in here. Like we, we're constantly making excuses. We, we want to blame the circumstances that are going on instead of really the self-assessment of what's happening here. I do a lot of marriage counseling, and this is my favorite, right? You'll get a couple come in, and they're like, he made me, or she made me, and I'm just, and inside you giggle, because nobody can make you do anything. Well, if she would, if he wouldn't, and I'm like, ugh. And typically, 99.9% of marriage counseling comes down to, you have a heart issue, and you have a heart issue, and those two heart issues are colliding. Lack of self-assessment. But it's the same old sin, right? What happened at the fall? God comes to Adam and he's like, what'd you do? And what does he say? Immediately, it's the woman you gave me. He turns to the woman, what did you do? It was the serpent that you created. It's all your fault. That's what we do. This, what this passage of Scripture does is it reminds us that our circumstances, they, they don't dictate how we respond, they dictate who we actually are. And that's key, right? So you have, I promise you this, you have just as much ability to blow it in prosperity as you do in trial. And I would guarantee you probably already know that. We always want to put this, oh, if God would just give me this, then everything would be great. And he's like, really? All right, let me give that to you. Let's see what your heart actually does. Blessed, verse 12, blessed is the man. Oh, verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises in its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he, has stood the test of, when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So verse 12 is the summary of everything I've just said, Right? It just sums it up in a really nice little package with a beautiful bow on it, right? It's really simple. So let me read it again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. I don't, 
I don't know what your trials are. I, I do know this. Your trials probably look different than mine. Right? And your, your trials probably look different than the person sitting next to you because you're a unique individual. The one commonality, I hope, is that you've given your life to Jesus, you understand the gospel, and, that, and we're all coming back to saying, okay, the disease is the same. Sorry, the disease is different, but the remedy is the same, right? The disease for everyone, it looks a little bit different. I mean, it's sin, but it looks a little different. But the remedy is the same. It's Jesus. And he says, look, whatever trials you go through, whether it be out of prosperity or it be out of discouragement, whether it be you in wisdom praying that the Lord would grow you and have to break you down so that you can have more endurance, whatever the trial is that you're going through, if you will endure it, you will see Jesus more clear. You will become more like Christ. You have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in every Christ follower to have those moments where you represent Jesus very well. You will know God better. You will, as you endure, you will apply the gospel in areas that you never even thought to apply it. it like there, there's so much especially in our culture, we, we categorize things so much. Family, school, work, friends, love life, whatever it is. I mean, there's so many different categories. And what we find ourselves is oftentimes we'll behave differently in each one of those categories. We think differently in each one of those categories. We process differently in each one of those categories. Our attitudes are different in each one of those categories. And we all have the excuse as to why, right? But what the... What steadfastness does in these trials is we're getting self-assessment as we're going, where am I not currently applying the gospel? What category is absent of it? And if I truly want to grow, I've got to recognize that. It doesn't, it's great if other people recognize it, but you won't change until you do, right? So it's putting the mirror in front of us and realizing that when we recognize it, it's one of the best gifts that God will ever give us because it allows us to pray in wisdom for help to apply the gospel in areas of weakness so that we become more usable by him, lacking less. It's, it's phenomenal. And here's, here's the joy of it all. You're like, I don't know if I still can find joy in that. He does it all. Right? He saves you. He encourages you. He gives you the gift. It's not like we went, oh, Lord, give me Holy Spirit. You came to Christ, he gave you the Holy Spirit. He, he does it all. The, the whole key of these trials, the whole key of self-assessment is to create a greater dependency upon the Lord and less dependency on ourself. That's the ultimate end of sanctification. It's where am I depending on me over the gospel? Where am I depending on me over the Lord? And then it ends with, and you'll be blessed. Paraphrasing, but you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. 
what greater gift is there to know Jesus better? What greater gift is there to be able to say, wow, Jesus loves me so much that he's not willing for me to keep being the person that I am. He, he wants me to grow. He wants me to apply who he is. It's fascinating that everything that James talks about here just comes back to the gospel and it's such a simple message, right? We know Jesus lived the, lived the life we were supposed to live, died the death we deserve, three days later rose, conquering sin, Satan, and death forever. It's so simple to understand and so difficult for us to apply and we come back full circle. This is James' issue. It's easy. It's easy to understand the gospel. A child can understand the gospel. A child can have faith in the gospel. But the ability to apply the gospel, that's a whole nother ball game. And our understanding of how that occurs is not immediate. I dare you in scripture to find somebody that God used powerfully that didn't take through major trials. Paul disappeared for seven years. We didn't even know what he was doing before he went on mission. Seven years. Jesus himself was put on trial constantly. If we want to grow, we've got to be willing to endure. We've got to be willing to have the self-assessment. We've got to be willing to have joy in trial. We've got to be willing to pray for wisdom. But obviously it begins with understanding the gospel at first. So if you're here today and you're like, man, that's cool. Um, my prayer for you is that it wouldn't just be some head knowledge, but you would actually desire to live it out. And it begins with the relationship with Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus personally, you, it, you can't ask for help for somebody that you don't know personally. That's logical, right? So if you want to ask for help, you want this wisdom, you want to be able to make the changes that are needed in your life, then the first place we have to come to is understanding that we can't make those changes, only Jesus can. Meaning we come in contact with our own depravity, our own, our own deficiencies, our own insufficiencies. And we say the gospel is the answer. And you can do that today. Right? There's Pastor Matt will be standing back there while we take communion and you can go back and and ask questions, or you can turn to the person next to you, as always, and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, then say, hey, can, can we chat, or can we get some coffee, or I have some questions. My, my prayer is that you wouldn't leave here without knowing Jesus personally. For the church, this was written mainly for you. It's one thing to understand the gospel, it's another thing to live it out. In order to live it out, we have to understand how Jesus grows us. And he grows us in ways that we might not like, but we gotta find joy in it. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. We're gonna do, we're gonna give you an opportunity to respond through communion. Elements are on both sides here. If you're here and you're a Christ follower, you're part of the universal body of Jesus, you are welcome to partake. The only thing I would ask is if you're not a believer and you're looking to do something religious to try to, to help the Lord smile at you, this isn't gonna cut it. A better response instead of faking something religious would be 
to ask somebody about Jesus. And let's have a conversation with you. So the band will, I'm gonna pray, the band will come up, and you guys, um, we're giving you some space to kind of process and then come and take communion as you see fit. So let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to know that you love us so much that you don't leave us where we are. We thank you, Lord, that your gospel can be applied to every area of our life, that there's, there's no aspect of our life that you don't touch. Lord, right now, I, just, I pray for any individual in this room who has never given their life to Jesus. I ask that, that you would regenerate their heart, that you would remove that heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh, Lord, that you would bring them to faith in you. I pray that the gospel that they've heard would be effective in their hearts, Lord. Lord, don't let anybody leave here without the hope of Jesus. And for your church, Father, we get this wrong so often. So first, forgive us. Point us in the areas that we need to to be encouraged to do it different than we've been doing it. Don't let us look at trials of difficulty or trials of prosperity as anything but just circumstances that help us understand who we are better. Lord, you've already given us everything we need. So I pray that your church would apply it. Lord, don't let us become people who know a lot about the gospel and have no idea how to live it. So Lord, whatever you're doing in this room, whatever hearts need to be broken or encouraged or repentive, Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would do that to us as individuals. Give us the ability and the wisdom to hold the mirror up and allow your Holy Spirit to reveal our own hearts to ourselves, Lord. We thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.